part two of El Politico was also recorded on Friday the 7th of January 2022. Tom, take it away. You're very welcome back to part two of El Politico. And uh, I forgot to mention the first time around, I'm in the company of Paul Bugler, or, um, or Ducci. <laughs> uh, how would you say? The, the Grand Duchy uh, of Montchalin. Yes, in relation to his knowledge of political and everything else that goes with it. And uh, Luke Fleming on the, the mixing of the show. And his, yeah, he's in a, he's in a, very, he's in a very strong um, place um, for our show this week. Uh, we're we're, we're we're very, um, how would you say, forward with our thinking. Bring the A game, Tom. Bring, we'll bring the, the A game, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a new year. It's a new year. And 2021 was um, a year where so much happened in lots of ways politically, but also from a point of view of the knock-on effects. Um, we're speaking about the, the high points and the low points of the year just gone. And I suppose from a point of view of, of um, arguments that could be had on, on bar stools or at homes around Ireland about, you know, what was the best parts, what were the not so good parts. I suppose not traveling was probably one of the was probably one of the biggest inconveniences to everyone in 2021. Maybe towards the end of the year, a lot of people got to go away and on a few sunny destinations and but it was a very it was a very restrictive year in lots of ways and i think it kicked off in how would you say in want of a better word um the 6th of january over in the united states was probably the biggest um event from a point of view of uh, putting the tools down and just watching your tvs and being kind of are you looking at this are you seeing what's happening and i remember this was was the big one it was, but I think before we get into that, Tom, we should probably talk about uh, things here at home. I suppose our format is, I suppose, a political event, no um, more so than the than, than the personalities and the individuals in the first show. It's political event of the year 2021 Ireland, political event of the year um, 2021 international. Yeah. Will we do the Irish ones first? Uh, yeah, I, I think we, we do the Irish ones because... But because that's a huge one, Thomas, it's a huge uh, Yeah, one. and that morphs into a whole load of other stuff as well. Yeah. And I think we, we if we start to finish on that, it'll be better. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We, we, I we, we, okay, I thought we were kind of going top down, but that's our... our Okay, no, fair bottom enough. up. We're a bottom up type of radio station. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. No, that, that, that's okay. a good thing. As opposed to bottoms up, lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's exactly, the way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We'll, we'll, sta- we'll, okay. start, we'll start at home, Tom, and we'll, we'll, move, we'll move abroad then. You know, we're, we're, we're wide, <laughs> wide, ranging. wide r- ranging. Yeah. Okay, let's start with um, um, the figure 12.5% as in corporation tax, something that um, the Irish government um, has used to its advantage for many, many years. That's all changing in 2022 onwards, is it, Paul? Yeah. I suppose, it, we, okay, political event of the year 2021. Um, we, you know, we can have, um, we went through some of the events as they pertained to personalities um, in the first show, maybe just take some of the big, significant political events. I suppose this is one, while it got a lot of airtime, it's the the changing of the corporation tax has been, I suppose, the cornerstone of Irish economic performance for at least a generation and possibly even two generations, most certainly since we brought in the kind of the, the technology companies like Intel in, in, in 1990 and that time. Corporation tax has been definitely the cornerstone of our economic policy to the point where I suppose even the figures just published at the end of December 
We've had the biggest ever take in corporation tax. I think it's approximately 60 billion euros have come in in corporation tax this year. Um, so, like I say, it's been a cornerstone of our economic policy for Pas a generation. Pa Pascal Dunhu will be thanking every corporation, uh, foreign corporation under the sun, because basically the, the bottom line on it is uh, they've been spending a truckload of money in relation to COVID, mm. but actually this makes it not look as bad. Yes, exactly. It you balances, know? or not balances, it doesn't but, balance, it but, but, but it helps to balance. It helps both. significantly, and, it, and it, it, you know, as to how th th things are going to be going forward. Yeah. And just, I, I suppose... Paul, I, there was one thing, you talk about political events of the year, uh, and uh, I'm sorry to butt in on you now, but I, it sort of morphs in a little way into the discussion we're probably going to have about 12.5%. But um, in times of crisis, in previous occasions, what would have happened was the purse strings got tightened, okay, and the belts were tightened, and it's a bit like, lads, we need to strap down here now for a while and look after things. But... In my opinion, uh, nobody is going to argue about the spending in relation to COVID. You know, 95% uh, of it, 99% of it is justified. And you can have the whole debate about um, where is the one thing where all the politicians were agreed on. You didn't have any sort of party on the left-hand side of mm. the argument or the right-hand side of the argument. There were none of them arguing about the PUP. Mm. Right now, you'd have wound up having arguments at the tail end of the year about that it should have been cut earlier. We'll say for the point of view of students and stuff like that, because there's now areas where uh, it's uh, businesses are finding it hard to get yeah. staff. But that's yeah. a whole that's a whole different thing. But um, Fine Gael would traditionally have been um, a party. Their ideal was not to spend excessively. Mm. Right. Yeah. Fiscal, and fiscal rectitude. Yeah, exactly. Luke is what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that has all been thrown out. Yeah, with Look. with the with the bat water, mm. and, and it's not COVID related. It's just I think it's a combination of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll throw a truckload of money at that. We're going to throw a truckload yeah. of money at this, and it's money for everything. Yeah. Right. And uh, it, this is where I'm going to come back, and it says where it comes into the whole twelve and a half percent. All well and good when we have the money that's there. But if you start to go from saying, you know, there's one for everybody in the audience mm. for the last yeah. two or three years and just saying two or three years time, the tax take goes down and then they actually say, oh, Jesus, OK, we actually have to sort of start squeezing. Things. Mm. Then there's going to be serious issues. Yeah. Well, you see, any economic system, and this is an economic system and that leads in then to a political system, but any economic system, it's only based on one thing. It's only based on confidence. Yeah. If people are confident... You know, you can magic money out of nowhere. You know, Bitcoin is an example of that. Mm. You know, you, if you create a narrative that creates confidence, well, then you've got a functioning economy. So I think at this point, you're dead right. We're, we're helicoptering money. And this was a, a proposal that was put out there even in the last financial crisis in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 and longer. Um, to just throw money at it. Now, the, the, the conventional wisdom at that time, led by Germany, as it happens, um, and Angela Merkel, was that no, 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 you have to balance the books. You can't afford yeah. to kind of throw money at problems. You have to cut services, yeah, you have balance to live, the books, you have to live, within live within your, your means. means. So th that, was the, that was the conventional wisdom 10, 12 years ago. Um, the, what that then, from an economic perspective, what that unleashed from a political perspective is the likes of the Brexit, is the likes of Trumpian politics, is populism mm. politics. So 
in approaching your politics with your foundation of economics from that kind of living within your means, if you want to call it that, point of view unleashed this kind of type of politics that we now live in. So I think a lot of the people that the architects of economics or the architects of economies and then politics are probably looking at it, are looking at that, it's fresh in our memory and saying, well, we've got a new system, we've got a new system this time around. And we can see it. the evidence is here even in the Scarifs or the Mount Shannons. You know, you're right, there is money being literally oh, thrown yeah. at everything. Now yeah. that's the kind of politics. Now it remains to be seen, it remains to be seen what will be the ultimate and eventual outcome of this. But like I said, the only thing that you need in any political economy is confidence. And the minute you lose confidence, and now I don't know where the lack of confidence or the loss of confidence might come from. I don't know. It might be that the, the emperor has no clothes, this money has no value. I don't know what it will be. We never know. But yeah, the, it has to reinvent itself. You er, know, it constantly in history reinvents itself. Political economy yeah, does that. But everything has been turned upside down, Paul. I think if you said to someone day one at the start of COVID, right, and said, right, the world is in crisis, you would have thought that A, automatically... Uh, there would be mass unemployment, mm. right? And that uh, you would have political upheaval. And now we say we're probably, we've had enough upheaval yeah. globally for a while <laughs> yeah. that it's still going on. There's a bit like, oh yeah, not that. But what's happened in Ireland? Right? Property prices. Mm. Gone. That, if you said, if you, if you followed the laws of what we would class as a normal downturn, we'd say when things went belly up with the banks 2008, 2009, 2010, property prices through the floor. Yeah. Because you had unemployment and your people, you know, as you said, no confidence there, whatever like that. And in the middle of the biggest pandemic in the, uh, uh, you know, in that the world has seen in the last hundred years, property prices in Ireland went up about 13 or 14 yeah. percent. Because the, the supply, you see, what happened in 29, 10, and 11 was that the supply of money was kind of stopped, you know, stopped at, at, at a basic economic level. You didn't have it. Now, and it was, it, it started actually when the European Central Bank after Trichet and into Prodi's tenure as, as, as governor, they started printing the money. Now, it didn't come down to the people in that first, in, 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 in recovering from the financial crisis, but it stayed up in the institutions. If you look at the, if you look at companies like Kerry Group, for instance, now, you look at their share price as it is now today as compared to what it was in 2013 or 2012. You know, the, the, well, the money was printed then, but it didn't trickle down to the people. This time it has been printed and lots of it been printed and it has been deliberately thrown at the people, whether that's your, your, your digital hub in Scarif or whether that's your bridge in Killaloo or whatever it actually is. That, that, that's how it's been thrown at the people this time around. But it only remains to be seen. What you potentially, this is the danger, if you look at back at the history of it, what you were just saying there, Luke, is that when assets or, or capital um, inflates the value then of housing, and that's a good example, actually, when you look at the, the, in the middle of a pandemic, prices up by 13%, that you create this inflationary bubble yeah, at and, some and stage. And we, say we can see it in the price of diesel, in the yeah. prices of oil. As farmers now, we'll be looking at it in the prices yeah, of, Tom, of... I know you've alluded to it previously, trying to get timber, stuff like that, you know, yeah. during the course of the year, raw materials. So there's there. a danger, and, and, and there will be no difference here in history. History will repeat itself. First as comedy, then as farce, perhaps. But, you know, you could go into an inflationary cycle which creates massive societal problems then and leads you into those type of events that we experienced, you know, in 1939, in 1930s, in the 1940s, you know, allied to a kind of a populist political system. So it is, look, it's totally uncharted territory, but trying to apply um, what happened yesterday 
or trying to apply your thinking from previous, and this isn't a criticism of what you're saying, there, but trying to apply the thinking of what you used previously to mm. what's going to happen tomorrow um, will be very difficult or will possibly not even generate the right answer for this type of thing. Wh- which you know? alludes back to the whole 12.5% where, you know, okay. I said... The point that I'm sort of try, you know, where I'm trying to square, square the circle on it is the whole thing that, you know, we say a fiscal comes out there a day or two ago and says, oh, we're, we've got the biggest uh, take ever. But that's not going to be the situation going forward because yes. of this deal that has yes. that has taken place. And as yeah. you said, it's taken the rest of the world about thirty years to catch up with the paddies mm. because basically a decision was made. We come in with this sort of low tax rate. We sort of trying, and and it's twelve and a half percent in theory, and it's nowhere near twelve and a half percent in reality. Yeah. No. Okay? No. 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 But even for countries that mightn't have a headline, yeah. might have a headline rate of 25%, yeah. <laughs> there are other deals being done on the side. We talked about the Intel deal for Germany vis-a-vis our stroke Ireland yeah. um, for the next fab. Um, you know, there are deals. Sorry, we talked about that off air. We didn't talk about it on air. It will come to it again. But um, yeah, it's, it's a different thing. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Supposing it's, this, is, this is at the insistence of the OECD. Ireland you know, were an outlier for a long time. And we were. And even going back to the financial crisis, a lot of people, including Sarkozy, um, Prime Minister of France or President of France at the time, felt that, you know, if we were going to be bailed out here in Ireland, well, then our corporation tax rate had to become an issue. You know, we had to change that. So we've managed to fight that off for a long period well, yeah, of time. Yeah, well, we might have fought it, Paul, but we've lost the fight. Ultimately, we have. This, right. And this is why it's a political event. Yeah. We did. Now, listen, when you lose a fight, it's not, it's not that you're Texas Hold'em, you're all in. In fairness to Pascal Donoghue, as chairman of the Eurogroup of Finance Ministers, he managed to achieve the best result he possibly could achieve for a long time with the OECD. That We, we were in their sights at 12.5%, and there was documentation out there that the OECD wanted national economies to move to at least, at least, and those are two important words, two Mm. small words, but two very important words, at least 15%. Ireland interpreted that as you'd start, you could go below 15%, you could go below 12.5%, you could go down to 0%. Yeah, you know. Depending so, on the turnover of the company. Yeah. That, that, but so in getting rid, and Donoghue and Fairnstein got rid of the words at least from the final agreement, so mm. it's a kind of, a, it's a set in stone, 15%, we're going to move to 15%. That means Ireland has to move up from 125 by 2.5 percentage points to 15 The rest of the world will probably start to move down to 15%. So, um, it, was a f- it was a reasonable achievement by o- by Donoghue to actually get that, get those two little words out of the agreement. Now, it is putting Ireland at a disadvantage, and he has already acknowledged that in saying that the 2023 tax take won't be as high yeah, as what we've become accustomed to getting. But here's the thing. If you look at, and this again, the, there's a nuance in this as well that he managed to achieve in that this 15% rate only applies to companies with a turnover of I think it's over 500 million or yeah. something like that. So to the vast majority, no, we've got some big heavy hitters here, well over, the, we've got the Apple, we've got the, we've got the Intels, we've got the kind of the, Google. the Dutch sandwich, we've got a lot of groups that are, the, yes, the, the, that are doing well here out of Ireland because of our tax rate. But we've got a significant amount of local companies, you know, 
under that kind of turnover, employing a lot of people that, you know, that uh, moving their tax rate from 125 to 15% would be a big issue, but um, they're going to stay on the same rate. So that's a good, that's a good result again um, that Donoghue managed to achieve. But there will be a significant change and it will make it more attractive or it, we, you will have to put something newer and more definite in the pot if you want to attract these multinationals into the Irish economy now in the future. But look, make no mistake, there's, I remember it, and, and the, the tax policy will be created to kind of suit what it is going around the environment. You know, intellectual property was never an issue 15, 20 years ago. Suddenly it became an issue Huge. in one of the finance bills. Mm. Um, and that suddenly created a tax take from companies like the the Facebooks or the or the or the, or the Googles or any of those as well. So it will evolve and it will change. But having said that, whilst we might get less, there's also the possibility we could get more. You know, if you take it from the point of view that over the course of this, and you, you use the context of the pandemic for it, that the the wealth I think it's been established at this stage, the wealth created by those companies like the Amazons, we see all the we see all the the deliveries on the road the whole time. Those companies are now, Apple, I think just last week, became the first company ever to be valued at $3 trillion. Um, I think there is an extra $440 billion has been created in, 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 in value and wealth in multinational companies. So in increasing from 125 to 15%, perhaps maybe, maybe he's been overly pessimistic. Perhaps we will be able to actually take more of the actual pot. It is an issue. There's no doubt about it that the multinationals, and this overlaps and overrides in a certain way into politics as well, the power that they actually have in relation to the political system. So maybe perhaps we'll be able to get more and we, um, could, we could we could we could come around and start talking about our movie choice of viewing over the Christmas time. We we'll, maybe we'll talk about that, that in a while. But so look, I think it's an event. I think yeah. it's a significant event. I think it was handled as well as it possibly could be by Pascal Donahue um, over the. Course I said there's of still the, the fifteen. The there's still the fifteen billion IOU. We'll say from Apple sort of that's right. Like, that's right. Money in that's the well. and, yeah. and you know that 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 whole issue is where where that will wind up. Yeah. But my, my primary concern about it, Paul, is you know uh, uh, as a nation we're living. Beyond Beyond our means. I know, and you've said that now. You've you, you've you've said that now a few times. I would. And it's not that I'm kind of poo-pooing it or, or going against it. I'm just saying that our political economies um, are constantly in a state of flux. It could all fall in a heap if you look at the historical way of things operating. It falls in a heap in a dreadful and awful way. Um, I don't know yet, Luke. We don't know. It's like, yeah, maybe it is. The emperor has no clothes. It's so difficult to actually say, you know. And but I really do believe that applying yesterday's principles to today's problems is not necessarily the answer. You know, you look at, you know, in the middle of the Second World War, you know, you had people beverage um, those type of economists creating a whole brand new type of society. You know, with the social economy that came in then with Attlee's government. You know, in in the devastation and destruction of a Second World War, they managed to do that. So I would hope that the people <laughs> that are in charge are actually kind of establishing or trying to establish a new set of fundamentals for economics. Because bear in mind that the, the fiscal rectitude that we experienced, um, a lot of people experienced in 29, 10, 11, 12, um, has created a significant amount of the problems we're experiencing today. Like I said, populism um, in, a, in a political sense most definitely has, most definitely has Brexit, any of those. So it's not necessarily the answer either. Um, the rectitude. You remind me though of you remind me of De Valera's when De Valera came into government in 1932, and the first one of the first um, one of the first budgets his minister for finance brought in 
was a budget that wasn't balanced. It was the first time we had a deficit in a budget. And somebody went out to RN or Radio 1 at the time, went out to do a Vox Pop in the 30s. What do you think of the budget? And they met some old fella. Oh, I don't know about this. You can't eat tomorrow's dinner today. Yeah. That's about I, I, it. I, I, yeah. I it's a, yeah. Um, really I, I just been, I've just been listening intently there to Paul in relation to, to his... Uh, summary, the 12.5% corporation tax. Corporation tax basically is invariably a tax on your profits. On your profits. On yeah. your profits. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, let's say, you're a computer company, right, and you produce a laptop, and you basically make 100 euros profit on each of those units that you sell, mm-hmm. that's 12 euros 50 mm. is basically your profit. So okay. you've got, what, 87 uh, 87 euros 87.50 yeah you know that's basically your profit I mean that's what it currently stands so now we're going from 87.50 to 85 euros yeah okay yeah that's still an awful lot of profit yeah. out of the unit that you're selling, well, right? You, you can turn that on its head. You can use the old phrase that Andy Kenny used to use when they were introducing taxes at the time of the fiscal execution. That's just another pint. You know, if, if I'm taking two euros off you on property tax, it's just another pint a week, you know? So it's uh, you know, the same so principle it, applies to companies. So, I mean, if you're, if you're set up here in Ireland and you have all the different things that you need as a company, you have your manpower, you have your Education technology, your whatever, in, the, in the overall scheme of things, I mean, if you if your government said, right, we're going we're gonna to increase by 2.5% or 2.5 points, I mean, you know, they, they might gradually start bringing up their product mm. by a certain amount yeah. to reflect what they're having to pay extra if they're, you know, but it's if all it's about, uh, for big corporations, it's all about money. It's yeah. all about the bottom line. and It's your share price. You know, That's your but I mean, what, and the other thing what Luke's saying and what you've uh, alluded to as well is about, about the cards all come crashing down. Mm. I was speaking to a gentleman there a couple of weeks back and I really, I, I couldn't believe it. He was, he was, we were talking about wages mm. and he was saying that your, your, your average kind of half talented labor inside in Limerick on a site is being, let's say the company that he would be working for would be charging 45 euro, 45 euros per man on that particular site. So you go 45 euros for your average kind of block layer, plaster, whatever like that. If you that, have tra- no, that, that's a trade. That's a trade, skill, a trade. A trade. 45 okay. euros, right? Per, per hour. Per hour, yeah. Okay, yeah, you, yeah. Go on a, you go on an eight hour day. Yeah. Right? So what is it? Uh, four eights, 32. So you're talking about 350 euros a day. Yeah. Right? And you multiply that by your week. Mm. There, you're close on nearly two thousand euros three, for one man. Not too far. Say eighteen hundred euros a man, and you've yeah. got three three people working there every week. Mm. That's close on five thousand a week mm. for three men without materials, without anything. And then we wonder how house, house prices have gone up so much. From a point of view of, I mean, I just don't, I can't see a justification in the, in that sort of wage myself. But then again, I, I suppose I'm old school, and when you're trying to, you run your own businesses and bits and pieces. But um, it, it's a phenomenal overhead in the overall cost of building a house without materials, yeah. without land, without everything. But yet, it's gone up thirteen and a half percent, as you uh, say. And I, I can I, see what I can see why, and that's the materials. Mm. On certain materials, have gone bananas. I, I, <laughs> I, I, there's, I, a mole, I, there's a mole trying to infiltrate yeah. us here in the studio. I, I would, I would 
bring that back to the whole thing. Uh, you, you talk no, but I'm just thinking practical no, terms. No, but I, I am being practical, Tom, and I'm talking about you know, how much is it going to cost to build a children's hospital? Yeah. There's a two, three bit, uh, it's a bit like, you know, back in the day, you'd Michael Noonan said, we're spending <laughs> millions and billions, you know, the whole yeah, thing that, yeah. that was there. And so there go, no, it's, no, oh, it costs more. Uh, the the plan that they did for the children's hospital, they forgot to put in the wiring first. That's another 400 million. Yeah. And you, you, Paul, you've alluded to it before yeah. where you sort of say, you know, oh, we're hearing these things, so that's how it must be. Now, has anybody ever thought about, A, who is the hero that is allegedly a professional that let uh, a, a project like that go through the design stage without putting in the electrical plans for it? Yeah. And how in the love of Jesus can it cost 425 million <laughs> to wire a hospital <laughs> i know you know yeah. I, but but it, it's a bit like you start you read about that and then you start to go tom you, you're saying well the fellow's getting paid 45 euros an hour you go oh well sure if, if it's costing 425 million euros to wire a hospital sure jez we have to pay the lads a bit more oh, yeah it's you you do <laughs> you get know? into a spiral there is there is an economic spiral all right and you kind of do end up chasing your tail and that's where that's where you get into yeah. dangerous type well, but, but, but i mean you you compare that to what you were saying about the germans in relation to you you know what i mean you can only spend what you have or you have to balance the books yeah i mean I, mean, I remember before the last recession, and I this this is uh, I I'll never forget this. And uh, when it was all about having apartments and houses and bits and pieces, and an electrician giving a quote right for one socket, what it would cost. This is now back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. One socket, he was basically quoting at ninety euros <laughs> for one socket to put in the wiring for one socket, ninety euros. Right. In a house, you have a very limited amount of sockets in the house. But do, do you know? And I mean, you you went from a typical Irish bungalow bedroom in the 1970s having a socket, one possibly. You'd find one in the room mm. to now literally having yeah. three sets of doubles or something like that for a potential yeah. TV, and yeah, you've got yeah. your lockers at the side of the bed. But the, I mean, from a payment point of view, to be able to pay this money back, we're talking. You know, as you say, Apple is worth three trillion. Mm. You know, and the value of things, the actual value that we're getting today in relation to 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 what's out there and stuff. And, and you know, yeah, it's impossible to say at the moment. It's just impossible. But it will at some stage, it will change in the same way that it changes in, 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 in a bad way or to a good way from 2009 to 2014, whatever. It will change the, the system that we are going through at the moment will be <laughs> it will not be the same system within another whatever it is, six months four years, I don't know what it is, but it will change, it will be different. That's the thing. And the only thing you can do, um, you hope, without having catastrophic political events, is that you can adapt as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and it's certainly good news that the the multinationals have, you know, the profits have been very, very high. And I mean, we're at an advantageous position because we have the big hitters in Ireland, Mm -hmm. you know? Anyway, that's, that's, that would be... Uh, I I think, uh, who's your um, favourite newscaster um, uh, of, uh, who's your favourite comedian, Tom? Um, Anchorman, Anchorman, the the great meme that's out there that escalated quickly. <laughs> Who would have thought that talking about twelve and a half percent of the tax rate would would have turned into a twenty minute rent from his yeah, own? Yeah, but uh, okay. very well, okay. very impressively handled there, Tom. Fire, fire on. Well, I, I I want to I want to go to we without that's a, a kind of a, a high point so to speak in relation to Pascal Don Donahue and so forth. And this is just something I'm after thinking about. You're talking about broadcasters. Um, is it Charlie Bird? 
Oh, Charlie Bird, yeah. Mm. Who was on the, was it on the, on the Late Late Show recently? Diagnosed, Christmas? diagnosed. diagnosed. motor neuron disease, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It was, I, I saw a little piece of it, and it was just very, very sad, because Charlie yeah. Bird, we've associated with so many different right. elements mm. of, of, you know, broadcast, so, you know, yeah, and he's yeah. been in... For a long time. You know, and... Uh, and I just, I just, I just mm. thought it was, it was incredibly sad to see the, his situation now, you know. Yeah. And that was one of the low points for me mm. for the year, seeing him, mm. and how, as I said, you could reflect back on so much of the stuff that he would have done, both naughty and everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I just wanted, I just wanted to mention that. Just political. Um, what's our next one there, Tom? Sort of uh, that, that is that sort of high points, Paul. Uh, that, that is the political event of Ireland in 2021. Yeah. Uh, I think we had a second one on that, maybe. We have is um, Michael O'Higgins, yeah, Michael D. Higgins, yeah. Sorry. And, and there's one Paul that, <laughs> that I, I, I sort of should have mentioned earlier and I forgot about it. the whole mother and baby homes, right? Which now it's one that, um. It's like all Ireland, sort of maybe New Ireland finally catching up with all Ireland, and the whole reaction to it, and you know the delays that have been there, and the you know the pain that people have suffered mm. through it over the years. It's finally coming out, but it's a little bit like um, you know we alluded to a politician there that was sort of had a banana skin year. This has just been dragged and dragged mm. and dragged. And, you know, it's like no one's sort of going to come out and sort of say, right, let's, we've made a pure balls of this and the whole way it, how it was handled. And, you know, the, the sort of empathy and sympathy towards the people involved is nearly toward nature because it was sort of people are sort of thinking, how can I stop uh, this sort of uh, landing me in trouble? Which yeah. is a total wrong attitude for things to, for it to have been dealt with. No, um, I, look, trying to find uh, it's difficult, or it, it's it's almost impossible with the state. If you want to call it the state, trying to find the state and the state, you know, you can create the apologies and you know you have the reports that um, that are presented, investigating or looking at the issue, like you know. But um, it's very difficult um, in concluding that the state is apologising because the state has made such an absolute hames and mess of it. Yeah. I suppose... The, the, state, the state, you can argue, technically isn't responsible for all of it. The church has a certain element of responsibility for it and how it was sort of dealt with over the years. But you, you can then say, well, it was the state allowed the church to yeah. do that but or what wanted is, the know, church to what do What is the state? We, we're going through our decade of centenaries at the moment. We have another, we have a centenary of centenaries, we'll say from 23 yeah. onwards, and it's mm. not pretty reading or it's yeah. not pretty to look at. You know, yeah. when we established our free state stroke republic stroke Ireland and the whole thing and what we chose to do then afterwards on that. But the state, we've got to remember, and it's not fashionable to say this, but the state ultimately is the people. It yeah. only reflects the values of the people at any given time. That's what you get in your political system, a reflection of the values that the people hold. So, I mean, like, whilst there's no easy... We can't draw a line under this, mother and baby homes, um, all those issues, 
child abuse, the whole lot. But we can't, we, and we never will, and we never should draw a line under it. I think the best you can do, all you can do at any given time, is to constantly reflect on it. And the best, when you talk, as you talk it there, you, as you mentioned it there, Luke, the best bit of reflection I've had on it, or I'm in the middle of having at the moment, is Claire Keegan. I don't know if you've ever crossed, she's an Irish author, novelist. She yes. writes these little short novels, like almost like novellas, and God, they pack some punch. Mm. She did one called Foster. It's about... Um, a foster child. Um, it's Shula brings them home actually from work. Anybody, but she has one out now at the moment, and it deals with them. Um, it deals with it deals with those issues, not necessarily. Well, yeah, it deals with those issues. The 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 the, the mother and baby homes and the whole thing. Um, having a constant bit of reflection there, especially from you know the likes of a novel point of view, from the writing of a novel, that's a good way to deal with it. I think. Now it mightn't bring. It doesn't bring for those that had have been part of it or have been kind of scarred by that life it possibly doesn't and maybe yeah. they can get more sucker or more or maybe they feel they need more from the state itself i just find it it's almost impossible to know when that can yeah. end and, and is, can I, you draw a line and, and I, i'm just going to compare it a little bit because that's a, at a human level okay right I, and with, with sort of um how the state failed people right but uh, it, as you said it, it, a certain amount of it is of its time this is how it was dealt with. We didn't yeah. know better, but we were very closed, all the rest of it. And you look at we said, uh, what you could class as another political event of the year, and, and this is, uh, is the whole pyrite situation, which is uh, coming, to, which has come to a lot of prominence during the last year. Now, it has been ongoing, especially up Donegal side for mm. a number of years, but now in, in 2021, uh, Fiona McGarry in the Clare Champion uh, especially has alluded to and has written a, a, a lot of interesting stories in relation to their, their sort of pyrite in Clare. Now, the one thing I would say to you, the difference between the two of them is pyrite is basically uh, from a business side of things. It's companies that were involved in the manufacturing of blocks made a conscious business decision that the contents of some of those blocks was going to be would have mica or whatever mm. you know the uh, the things contents that are in it because basically and the end line was well they wanted to make their money and they didn't really give a shite and now it's the state is now sort of uh taking the taking take, the, the hit on the book yeah you know yeah. but you said we weren't really prepared to sort of take take a hit financially to sort of look after the mother and baby homes good point actually yeah you know point. i I'll, I'll just leave, leave it at that tom and, yeah, that's and, interesting. and send, send it back to you yeah, it's a good point Okay, um, Michael D. Higgins not attending the interdenominational service in Northern Ireland. It kind of hit the news, and then it became a kind of a kind of a, a slow burn, and then everyone was having their opinion on it. And uh, what did Michael D. our president do eventually? Nothing. He didn't go. And then the Queen didn't go. It was didn't it somebody was, go? Didn't uh, Simon uh, Cove? Did Simon Cove? I think Simon Our good friend Simon to represent the Irish government. It was just a choice that Michael D. Higgins made in relation to the proposed commemoration of, um, I suppose, the establishment of Northern Ireland from a, a, a church point of view. Um, October of this year, of last year, I think is when it was. The four churches of Ireland: Church of Ireland, the Methodist, Presbyterian, and Catholic decided to have a commemorative event. Michael DeHegan's felt that this was a political event and as such as president, he couldn't or shouldn't attend that. And that then, of course, you know, opened the door then in relation to the politics of Northern Ireland, um, that the unionists felt that this was a slight on them and a kind of opened a kind of a can of worms or has opened a can of worms that remains to be seen as it was where we'll finish up with it. So, so it was a political event or had, had, it had an impact 
and it will have an impact, I think, as we progress over the next number of years as well, it most certainly will have an impact. So I think it was a political event of the year. Um, okay. A political want. event of the year from a position that technically isn't supposed to get involved in politics, but Michael D. over his tenure has proven to uh, be he, an able he, yeah, and he, capable he, operator. Yeah, Michael D. most definitely, I would say we have rarely had, had a politician or a president of Ireland as political as what Michael D. actually is, and he strides that, not always successfully, strides that, that role of... Um, not being non-political versus being political um, as best he can, put it that way, yeah. like, you know, to him at the moment. But this one was definitely, but I think it kind of, it, it, it kind of prompted other issues then that we will have to kind of have a look at politically um, as yeah, time evolves and, and I think when it comes to, to Ireland. I think to a certain extent, Paul, you, t you, you talk about it and, um, you know, alluding to the whole thing with the mother and baby homes and everything else like that. And you look at politics in Northern Ireland and uh, whereas, Things have evolved here over a period of time, and you know you'd like to think we've got more progressive and more outwardly looking. But things up north, as far as a lot of the unionist parties are concerned, are still very, very, very insular, and yeah. they need to get with the program. But here's the thing, though: if, if you actually that might be the surface of it, might appear that way. But if you actually drill down, this is the interesting thing with Michael D. Higgins's. Um, refusal to attend that service when you drill down and have a look at it maybe we'll be dealing with this in, in another and in, in another um, sector in a few minutes but when you drill down we're not perhaps quite as progressive or as have quite as moved on as what it is we think we might have um, in down here in in the southern part of the island if you want to call it that you know if you take take that one at that time, when, when that bit of a furore was there about that service, um, there was a lot of kind of polling done and 70 or 80 percent of people agreed with Michael D. Higgins's stance on this. And in agreeing with his stance on this, you know, this is my interpretation of it, you know, that we don't recognise Northern Ireland. You know, we don't recognise the border. And this is what was coming across, I thought, pretty strongly as a, as, a, as a result of Michael D's actions on this at the time. And that, to me, then, was a kind of a, a, a totally putting the baby out with the bathwater in relation to the last hundred years. And doesn't bode well for how it is we're going to try and evolve and develop over the next hundred years. If you can't actually admit that there has been partition, that there has been a border in Northern Ireland. Well, then, I mean, it's going to be very hard to move on from there. And this has been kind of driven on a little bit by the Sinn Féin reaction to it as well, and even a, a more domestic and local reaction to it. That's what just makes me um, slightly um, cautious and, um, how would you say, recognising that it is quite a significant, slow-burning, perhaps, political event. And I think it ties in, actually, with what we've been dealing with in a while, the decade of centenaries as well, in a lot of ways. Um, that was just my interpretation. I could be totally wrong on it. My interpretation is that this, his, his well, I'm sure he has loads of worked out reasons on it, but that at a level, it kind of refuses to recognise recognize Northern Ireland. And I understand people's attitude towards the border, people's attitude towards um, all of that. But this attempt to kind of rewrite history just seems a little bit odd. And on your point there, Luke, it actually, I think, undermines the progressivity we think we actually are in possession of down here in the southern part of the island. Mm, interesting. 
Yeah. I don't know. I I um I presume he has advisors as well when it comes no, to situations like this, and he's a very very experienced man, both a politician and then president. So I'm that's sure what, he yeah. would have thought about this prior it, yeah, to saying no. I'm not going. That's the point, Thomas. That's what makes it so intriguing for me politically. And he doesn't, to, to my um, knowledge, he hasn't subsequently come out to explain the rationale in more depth about the stance he took. Like, like you say, 100%, he is, you know, he is a, a thoughtful and considerate politician. There's no doubt about that, whether you agree or disagree with him. But I just, something was left hanging on that whole issue, for me anyway. Something has been left hanging and it's kind of showing an underbelly that I'm a bit apprehensive about myself. Yeah. That's all. Would he be, would he be a, a, a very much a fundamentalist that if he believes in something regardless to of what the position he rolls, he's going to basically say, no, lads, I'm not in favour, because this is what I believe in, regardless I, of what you want me to go about doing, I'm not going to do that's it. That's a very good point. And as late as just in, in parallel, we'll say, with this issue in, in, in the cathedral in Armagh and the, the interdenominational um, commemoration, just before that, he had done a state visit to Italy, politically, you know, and carried out all his duties. He may, he pursued a most blatant act of politics there because he fundamentally believed in it. He visited the grave of an old Marxist um, political philosopher, Grasky. You know, so that's a very political act to make as president of Ireland. You know, I'm a left-wing Marxist. We all know what Michael Higgins is, but that's a political act. So he was quite happy. He said, I believe in this. I believe in this. I will do this. You know, whether... It's open to interpretation if that's the right thing for a president to be doing. You know, okay. they're supposed to be above all this. And he's claiming to be above all this a month later. So, yes, that's very much so Michael D. Higgins. Very much so Michael D. Higgins. But usually he will argue out the toss on this and he'll present what it is that his, um, that his opinion is. This time, he do, I, to my knowledge, he doesn't seem to have on this subsequently. He doesn't seem to have. Yeah, no, I, I know there's a, there's a gentleman who I speak to from time to time, and he's a very learned gentleman in history and, and political affairs, and he always reverts back to Michael D. Higgins as one of the most hypocritical <laughs> politicians from a point of view of his standing in relation to his history of, of Cuba and different marks. But he always, he always <laughs> refers to uh, Michael D. Higgins and he, he articulates yeah. exactly where Michael D. Higgins yeah. is a hypocrite yeah. in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course, because I don't have the knowledge, I kind of just nod and go, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I don't have the knowledge. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, Yes, <laughs> I know exactly. I know exactly. I think the great line for that would uh, that would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. carry on, Tom. Oh, that was no. That was that was that was very much an X factor moment there by Paul. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's putting the act. He's putting the act through to the next round. Okay, right. Let's uh, let's move on. Um, will, we, will we give a winner on that one? I think the event is the corporation tax. It's a huge event. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's an event that probably, uh, not that it went under the radar, hmm. but it was a thing that it's been sort of on the boil for the last 10, 15 years. Yes. It came to a head this year, and I think it's going to be a number of years before uh, <laughs> the consequences of it come home to roost. And, yeah. and, and I think in fairness to our people, or our person, if you want to call it that, Pascal Dunham, did as well as you positive sometimes in politics you know you don't get the kind of you don't get the you don't get the golden star but he did the best job he could in the circumstances that were presented for if, if you were if you were to sort of compare it to uh, uh, trying to um 
debate and negotiate that whole thing with your political peers across Europe and across the world in 2021 versus what uh, world politicians and leaders thought about Ireland in 2009, you'd sort of say, job well done. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Because we said our political reputation abroad was... In In tatters. tatters. Yeah, that's a job well done. You're making a good point. But I mean, the, the fact that you said... I think the achievement was that he got it fairly much under the radar. Mm. That was the big. That was the big achievement because that could have really blown up because yeah. it's been there for so long over the years. Yeah, you know, yeah. as one that, of our see, biggest selling is, points. Yeah, that's a good point, and it goes back to our very first category here today, or yesterday, the last program. You know, sometimes when politics works like that, you know, with like the, the duck looks nice and calm along the water, but a lot of work going on underground <laughs> without any. Um, Paul, I think you're referring indirectly to, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> to, I, to our T-shirt it's again. It's the type of politics that I, I, it, it appeals to me. I think it appeals to the vast majority of people. Why they, might, they mightn't even realise it. We all love the flash bang and the whole thing and the theatre of it. But really getting things done, that's the only way to achieve things. Yeah, and I, th- I think that is the, the biggest high points uh, of 2021. And what, what Luke was saying earlier off air about how the media works today and everything has to be so extreme to get recognised. Yes, the fact that it's not extreme, that it's that it's very low-key and that it's stuff that's been done mm. is, uh, you know what I mean, a recognition Much in more itself. Significant. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, we've given our winner as the 12.5% corporation tax up to 15. So now we move on to the political event of 2021 internationally. internationally. And so this is where probably the the, the, the horse bulls that earlier on, I brought this in as our main, as a, one of the main points of how the year began in 2021. And of course, we went we went fairly much stateside. But do you want to start with this nationally, as in, in Ireland? I, I think we could give an international um, chat about, we'll say, okay. a few... Other events worldwide that happened. prior to that, okay, no, well, yeah. d- well in different it, different locations that happened because then we, we we're going to be looking at a, yeah. uh, looking forward to twenty twenty two. We keep it. We, we yeah. okay, I know what you're doing there, Luke, and yeah. I agree with you. I think yeah. you're uh, I, 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 I'll give you a political event for twenty twenty one, Tom. Right, uh, the Suez Canal that we all know <laughs> and hear hear about it. But yeah. who the Jesus would have thought we'd all have been looking at it sort of back in March and April and sort of saying, Jesus lads, the canal is blocked, we're all screwed. Right? Well it's interesting because I suppose a generation previously it was part of the geopolitical um, with the Suez Canal, it, it ended the career of Anthony Eden as, yep. um, as Prime Minister of England. It, it, it showed that England couldn't depend on America. It brought Arab nationalism into place, um, just as you said. So in the 1950s, it was a significant geopolitical event. Yeah. In the 2021, it was a significant geopolitical event in that a bloody big ship got stuck in the canal and couldn't bring yeah. all our tasks from China. And I'm, I'm going to bring this back local, Thomas. Sometimes we always like to do. The Evergreen is not the name of the boat. Evergreen is the name of the company that were hiring the boat. The name of the boat was Ever Given. So the Ever Given ran aground for about nine or ten days and sort of blocked up the whole Suez Canal. <laughs> but if you want to see Evergreen in the community, I tell you, go to the home of Claire Camogie. Because in their park, there's a container. Evergreen. And it's an Evergreen container. 
I think you can see it from the road. Oh, you can, I you can indeed. You yeah. it's, it's great, great, great sponsorship. Great sponsorship. I, have, I haven't been in the park, but I've seen that from yeah. the road. I've yeah. seen that from the road. And, no, and, don't you mention it. And with regards to the name Evergreen, are are is there someone Irish involved in the company? No, with a name uh, like that? no. I think they're you know they're just like Maersk or something like that. Some, okay. some of the big companies. That's from that, here that, for that, our that, corporation tax. <laughs> from here for corporation tax. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, the Suez Canal is a, is a main artery mm. for world. Transportation. It's the only one. Oh, it's the only one. Okay. Yeah, on, on, there, there are, I suppose there are two significant arteries, like you said, to kind of allow trade: the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal, and it, it allows the East, which is China, Japan, India, to connect with the West. Other than having to go right around the whole of the continent of Africa, which yeah. is a huge imposition on any kind of. And, it has been and, a huge and, imposition and, for hundreds of years. And at the end of the day, Tom, as I said, it's about the economy. It's about money. It's about three weeks extra on shipping, and we say, you know, the yeah. physical cost of sort of trans yeah. transportation as well. So but that's, even, that's why that's in the nineteen fifties so it was also just as significant for other reasons. Not we didn't have the same trade or the same amount of stuff coming, but it was you know whoever controlled that part of the world that 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 section where we connect was going to have a significant influence on the rest of the world geopolitically you know if, if that's why there was such a a crisis the suez canal crisis in in the 50s and who borders the canal to, from a point egypt. of view of control egypt and it, it, it's just egypt just egypt isn't it i think it's, it's just egypt, egypt yeah just okay egypt, so egypt yeah. have a massive say in relation to what passes through there then does it well, I think when, when when the canal was initially built, it was built um, by a, like the East India Company. It was built. It was British controlled. It was controlled by the by the UK, and that's why there was such a crisis in the fifties, and that they were losing control, and that Arab nationalism or Egyptian nationalism was kicking into gear at that stage. So, at that point, it wasn't controlled by Egypt. It was you know. But now at this stage, it's Egyptian territory. But okay. Egypt is a, is a, is a world. It's it's not a rogue state if sure, you want to use that sure. old phrase. So yeah. there are agreements and it, there are you know Panama is a world state as well. <laughs> it's slightly <laughs> dodgy, but it is. You know, okay. in the interests of trade, they do recognise. In the interests of trade, you have to keep these arteries open. Okay. So this so so basically, this evergreen is a bit like a cork that decided to float up the canal and then go sideways and block it. Basically, yeah, yeah, that, well, yeah, with the the whole, you know, the whole optics of it, and and you know, like the sort of then the the lad sort of sued, they sued the 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 ship owners for basically for blocking up the canal, and you know, they were looking for nine hundred million, and I think they we say between the insurance companies they had to pay, and like the boat actually, you know, they got it out after about ten or twelve days, but the boat was actually still sort of tied up, literally out in the harbour. For about four or five months afterwards, while they were having the row about the contents on it, who was in it? Uh, you know, so a bit like if you thought, okay, well, okay, it got delayed for uh, two weeks, and then sure it blocked up everything else for another two weeks. You'd have thought that it would say if you were depending on it, if you had uh, products on the actual container, uh, you know, on a container on the boat, okay, it'll be a month late. No, you're talking about four or five months late. Because it was tied up in the in yeah, the it was tied, but but the, the knock-on effect that it sort of has, you know, it, it just gives an indicator a global economy and you know how things are sort of mm -hmm. moving and you you could you could correlate it to the whole chip shortage that sort of exists. We'll say you know uh, worldwide in relation to we'll say when things shut down with the pandemic uh, chips that were being used in. Uh, you know, cars, they stopped making cars, so they sort of drove it more towards, oh, people needed to work from home, so it went more into computers and bits and pieces like that. But now they're trying to get cars back up and running again, and cars, uh, we can't make the cars. 
you, you, you have manufacturers in Europe, especially, that are basically, th there's certain brands that are cars that they can't physically sell because the, the chips that they require, computer chips that they require, are, you know, for to sort of run your tablet on your display or whatever like that, they can't get them. I think BMW had one of the funniest things I heard of, Paul, I don't know, did you hear this, where basically they wound up buying 10,000 microwaves, 10,000 LG microwaves, right, that had a certain chip inside in them that they needed for their cars. Okay. <laughs> so they, they paid something like 100 or 150 euros each to buy the microwaves, took the chips out of them, and put them into their cars. But they've held on to the microwave so that all going well in six <laughs> or nine months' time when the chips come back into supply, the old BMW lads will be there sort of soldering them back into Down the microwaves the and then they'll sort of sort of let them off the local car boots. Or else then. you'll have them in a BMW 7 Series, you get your own microwave. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you, could, you, could, you could have that too as well. But, but you know, it's just a sign. You know, it was a global event, I yeah, thought, right. a word yeah, of significance. Uh, uh, there, there's another one there uh, in, in relation to elections, Paul. And th oh, this yeah. is I, I, I'm going to <laughs> I, I'm going to give you the floor in relation <laughs> is, to this, yeah. and it's not American elections. This it's is for real political anorexics yeah. like elections. So Tom, yeah. Tom, the two of us now would need to put the feet up and sort of stand by and Ooh. listen to the Ooh. next five minutes. What Paul's going to talk yeah, well, about. this country <laughs> is 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 fairly much in the news because they seem to be the most progressive or let's say forward-setting agendas when it comes to the vaccines and basically giving a fourth dose to their population compared to other countries who were, were still just doing the booster now at the moment, but they're already in their fourth jab. Um, Israel and the general election of March 21, is it? Yeah, yeah. I put that in there um, as a political event of the year. I thought it was fascinating. The last number of years, well, is Israeli politics is always say this through clenched teeth, fascinating. Um, it is the only democratic country in, in, in the Middle East that does have free and fair elections or free elections. Um, so, you know, the other countries that we kind of, we, we, whether it's the Palestinians without their homeland or whether it's the Jordans or the Syrias or whatever, you know, they don't have free elections. They're either, they're either kingdoms or they're, you know, um, autocratic rulers. Um, but the Israeli election was fascinating to watch. There's been a period there for the last number of years where there's been huge instability. You know, we're all familiar with um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's probably been Prime Minister now for the last 10 or 12 years at this stage. He has outseen, you know, various American presidents, has actually determined a lot of Middle East policy, has kind of... Um, been able to kind of um, keep American presidents under his thumb, you know, in a lot of ways, including kind of Trump and including um, Barack Obama as well. So he has been prime minister for a lot of years. He concentrated a significant amount of power. He made the office of prime minister in Israel a really powerful position in, in taking a lot of power um, from various parts of the social system and centralizing them into the um, prime minister's office. Um, Hints then, as is, is want when you're in situ for too long, hints of corruption and that sort of thing starting to creep in. So you've had a lot of instability for the last three years or so in Israel and in, in, and in Israeli politics. Um, he is the leader or has been and continues to be the leader of the Likud party, which is kind of a right wing party, kind of the Fine Gael, if you want to call them that, of Israel or the Conservatives of Israel. Um, created some coalition governments. They've had four general elections in the last two years. Um, 
constant instability, not able to create governments, not able to create governments that lasted long enough. A new kind of a charismatic type leader. And Israel often throws up charismatic type leaders, and they often come from the military side of things as well. A new leader there, Benny Gantz, if people are familiar there, came in as kind of a chief commander of the army, set up a new political party, the Blue and White they're called. So he formed part of a government with Netanyahu. Um, that government fell. So you had another, uh, you had four elections in the last two years, a bit like Ireland in 1981-82, where we had three elections. Yeah. Uh, and you had the kind of Hohi um, Fitzgerald thing. In Israel now in 2020, it's the kind of Gantz um, Netanyahu kind of thing. It's a bit like that. It's the same kind of political theatre mm. and the same instability. So you had, this peri- you had this series of elections. Eventually, you had the Blue and White and the Likud came together to form a coalition and that Netanyahu was going to give up um, his prime ministership halfway through, a bit like our current arrangement here, and Gantz would become Prime Minister then as well for the second half of their term. That didn't happen, um, undermined Gantz. So another election last year, Netanyahu felt, yeah, I can get this back over the line again. He got his opportunity as the biggest party. The Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, has 120 seats. Um, It's amazing as well to look at it. It's so fractured. You know, the biggest party in that Knesset is the Likud party, Netanyahu's, and that's, I think, on about 29 or 30 seats. So they're very small in the overall, you know, they need 60, 61 seats to form a government. So he's only really half of a a government. He's never going to get a majority. No, he'll never, ever, ever. So you've got this huge variety of parties. Then you've got left wing, right wing. You've got kind of settlers. You've got the people who want to, you know, build on, 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 on Palestinian land. You've got every type of a rainbow of people represented in the Israeli parliament. So to try and put a government together out of that is extremely difficult, is extremely difficult. But so it, show, it shows a huge um, element of democracy that you have all these different elements. That's very true. That's very true that you have such a variety of, you have such a variety. Some of it is headbanging, but some of it is, <laughs> some of it is, some of it is, but some of it is, 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 is decent. A, a, a Harvey Wallbanger. <laughs> we have them ourselves in Ireland. So you have this massive kaleidoscope of politics within that parliament. Um, so um, Netanyahu, after the fourth election, gets his opportunity then to form another government, can't form a government. So the, for the first time then, so in about 10 or 12 years, the opposition managed to come together and form a government, just barely by the skin of their teeth. I think they didn't even get the actual votes. Some of the voting was dependent on abstentions. So they didn't get to 61, they got to 58, 59. So you have a government in place now, including Gantz, who is no longer kind of down to be prime minister, but he's the minister for defense, which is a very significant role in Israeli politics. And he's, you know, he has that bit of charisma about him. But you also have, you have the prime minister of Israel now is um, Natalfi Bennett, is his name, who's actually um, from a party with only seven seats. So he's a very small party. So this is the kind of wheeling, dealing politics. The second biggest party at about 20 seats is a kind of a left-wing party. And the name of the, the, he's the deputy prime minister, will become prime minister. I've forgotten his name now. But he was the kind of architect of this opposition to Netanyahu and managed to bring it all together, including the Gantz, including the Natalie Bennett, including all these small little groups. And the most interesting thing, for the first time ever, there's an Arab presence in the Israeli government. So there, there are... Israeli Arabs, not necessarily just the Palestinians. There are Israeli Arabs that are represented in, in the parliament as well. And they are now forming part of the government. So I think you've got this government, you know, finally create... No, it's, I mean, this isn't going to change the world. It most certainly isn't, isn't going to change the Middle East, you know. But it's, it was a fascinating election process, or an electoral process to actually watch. 
um, in the kind of March, April, May, June. I think it took about three, more so than here in 2020. It took three or four months to put it together. But to see the architecture and to see it being put together was a fascinating piece of political um, work, I thought. And is there, is there pro-Palestinian parties uh, th there as well? No. On the, in, in, no. Is, are they all no, anti-Palestine? That, that would be a stab. Well, you know, there, there's, still, there's still a kind of a, a complexity. There, there's this, the, 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 the single state or the two-state option. They're still out there, but how do we solve the, the issue of the Palestinian um, homeland or creating the state of Palestine? It's still there, and there are still opinions expressed because it is a single state with the Palestinian Palestinians subsumed into Israel? Is it a two-state solution where we give up some of our land and create Palestine? You know, that's still there for debate. It'll probably still be there for debate for the next hundred years. There's no sign of it ever being um, sorted or achieved. But it's a good thing always in any democratic system to see a bit of change, you know, to, sure. see, to see the incumbents kind of put out of office, to see is there a new way of doing things. And that remains to be seen you know, with Gantz, with, um, oh, that, that, that's, uh, what's the name of that, that, that guy who's going to become um, Prime Minister. It'll just, just be interesting to see what kind mm. of an initiative or what sort of a momentum they can create. Bearing in mind that Netanyahu is still there as leader of the opposition. He's still just waiting in the wings. How successful? Can this government see out a period of stability of five years or will it just be another election again by next March, April? Who knows? But it's just a fascinating p political um, election, if you're into that, to actually watch last and, year. And wasn't there an investigation into Benjamin Netanyahu yeah. oh, this current, not so long ago? You know, constant, this, the whiff of corruption is there, which is what you do expect when these powerful, strong political men and the centralisation of power over the course of his career. You know, you, as sure as night follows day, you can be sure that there will be elements of that in there as well. And that's what's been washed through the system now at the moment as well. It remains to be seen um, how that will conclude. Very good. There you go. All about Israel today. So have a look at that one, anybody who's interested. Have a look at the Israeli general election of 2021. Okay, well, uh, I think we're, we're um, back to what I began with um, at this part of the show, which was the the capital attack on the 6th of January. Or have we more? We have political... Okay. Do you want to do the icebergs before we, we do it? We, we, will we put it <laughs> yeah. all into the iceberg? We, we, I mean, we, we do we, the we, domestic we, icebergs first. Yeah, and exactly. Get them out of the way. Yeah, exactly. And you can oh, let yeah. rip then loop. Exactly. We'll, yeah, do, yeah. we'll do the local icebergs yeah. or the Irish icebergs. Okay. The political iceberg, 2022 Ireland nominations. Um, decade of centuries. Centenaries. Centenaries, sorry. Centenaries. And wildlife in Kildare Street. <laughs> Two opposite ends of the spectrum, can I just say? Wildlife in Kildare Street came in late last what, night. What was it? <laughs> was breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. news. A cunning fox uh, managed to enter the office of the Taoiseach and left is a wee in the he corner. He's urinating all over <laughs> what? buildings. How does a fox, apparently how does a fox a, get into it? Apparently, it was, a, it was an interesting article to read. Apparently, there's a huge amount of wildlife in the kind of Leinster House stroke Kildare Street yes, area. buildings complex. But it is a whole thing, Paul, because like, I've seen it myself in Limerick. They're, they're like, you know, we said, you see a fox sort of out here. And actually, I say in the countryside, I haven't seen a fox in a long time I, out in the countryside myself. But in Limerick, I said, I could be driving in and say, the early hours of the morning, urban boys. 
And basically, they're not scavenging around the, the bins, you know, looking for food. There's people feeding them. People are feeding the so, fox. So, yeah, feeding the fox. So, you see, like, you're normally a fox, if, if, you know, if a, if a fox saw a human or a car or anything like that, they were running 90, on, 90 yeah. miles an hour the other direction. Yeah. Now they're literally sort of looking up at you and sort of going, Where's my grub? Where's my grub? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like the cat. But, uh, yeah, the, the, a lot of wildlife, because um, there was an article that came out, and, it, of course, the headline, of course, was the fox pissing in the office of the teacher. <laughs> that, that, that was, that, that, that you was actually... It was actually Leo Varadkar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you know, that got the headlines. But, like, the, there was articles about, yeah. you know, birds being caught in buildings and sort of, you know, then the rat population. And, of course, that, that, that would you, you sort of... <laughs> that leaves itself open uh, for a joke. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, but, but and how, how much it costs. And I think it was, was it the, the, the restaurant or the cafe that they have that birds were getting caught inside in it and, you know, it was costing money to get them removed and stuff like that. Mm. But, yeah, the, the, the fox in... I've been reading the article, Luke, and it's, it's a political iceberg. We, 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 we'll put it in the term in, yeah. in, the, in, in the terms of political iceberg in that the whole place could become a menagerie of animals <laughs> <laughs> the way it was written next year and that our whole fundamentals yeah. of democracy could be undermined by exactly. foxes yeah, yeah. foxes seagulls all rats, hail our new leader you know it could be animal farm you know I, I, we, we fox news in the states and we'll be alluding to them in fox a few news. minutes oh, you know, boom, you know boom. Boom. foxy boom boom but apparently so. 65,000 euros I think I read yep. the article Six, it costs to deal with wildlife in the Leinster House complex 65,000 yeah. Euros that would be the winged variety and the four legged variety as opposed yeah. to the two legged yeah. variety. Yeah. That's amazing. So there, yeah. Yeah. there is a political iceberg for you Fun next now. year. We're sitting here next and year. And you'd be calling, you'd be calling, um, who would you be calling now if you had a situation <laughs> in relation to animals like that? What organization? Rent to kill <laughs> for the rat. Well, you, well no, yeah. you know, rent to kill, you'd, if you got, if you had bees and wasps and all that sort of stuff problems, mm. you'd actually contact them as well mm. to get rid right. if you need to get they, rid. They probably want to change their name you know the way going forward as man says rent to kill has a certain yeah, name yeah, to it. it could be it could be rent to life maybe I know you talk about people feeding now at this stage Luke you talk about that but it has to be connected more so with the amount of waste I, I would Absolutely, still, I yes, would still yes. imagine that wildlife are you know yeah. saying here's bonanza you know we, what, what we throw out now when it comes to yeah. food is just off the scales oh like, yeah you know? I, I don't have to go hunting too far if there's sort of like if I can open a skip and I can sort of eat for like a king for a well, week why, you know? would I be, why would I be hunting yeah, yeah exactly why, why yeah. I be hunting? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's so yeah. much of it yeah, yeah. that is okay right um Decade of centenaries. Decade of centenaries. And that is an iceberg, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, an Paul, iceberg. Paul, I'm going to allude yeah. to you in relation to this. I, I suppose uh, there was an article, um, the Sunday Independent last week had... Uh, a, they printed a copy of the paper from a hundred years oh, ago yeah. after the I treaty had been signed. So That's this right. is this is where we'll say a hundred years ago we're gone from sort of civil war. Uh, sorry, we're we're gone from. Uh, we've had the treaties, and that's yeah, treaties. We've just gone through uh, that. hundred years ago, we've the treaties now signed. So this is where you're alluding to the problems of the next few years. Yeah, I think so. And even I think it's it's fascinating to look at it. I and it's, it ties in a little bit with Michael D. Higgins's stance when it came to the commemoration service in Armagh Cathedral ties in a little bit to that. It's just struck me since we've started, I suppose we started in 2013 with the lockout, whether that was officially part of it or not, but I suppose we really started in 2016 with the Easter Rising. We started to commemorate um, the events with the establishment of the state. And I suppose 2016, yeah, 
didn't create any, everybody was, you know, relatively kind of, that was a good job, well done on that. Um, then we came, into, we, into, we came into our war of independence, you know, and you had the starting of it in Solahed Bay. You know, you had all the various iterations. Um, the first one then, where you start to slightly... Um, and this is, I think, a, a, a constant theme. I think it will be an iceberg for us as, as, as we progress. Um, the RIC, the commemoration of the RIC, and I know it, it struck a nerve and there was a lot of debate about it. It helped get Cahill Crow and it profile. Helped, it, it, helped, it, it most certainly, most certainly, it absolutely did. But it was the first indication to me that, you know, we were beginning now to actually um, try, I think, to rewrite in a lot of ways history, to kind of etch out the bits we don't like in history and to kind of create the narrative that we do like or that might kind of suit us um, as we go forward. And I don't think it's a good thing. I think we're, we're missing the kind of the, the fundamental point, I think, when it comes to history. And it's, we seem to feel now, or certain people seem to feel that history should answer all these questions. It should answer, and it's definitive, and that's it. And I think this isn't an accident. I think it ties in very much with Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin's philosophy and political philosophy as well. But history should never be, I don't think history should ever be about that. History should be always be about asking questions. And if we try and kind of, um, like with the RIC, and whether you agree or disagree, and I take the points and I take the debate, but whether you agree or disagree, trying to shut it down and trying to not have a broader debate about it is not going to solve anything for anybody in the, in, the, in the longer term. And if you move it on then from there, you move it on to the treaty negotiations that we've commemorated now as well, like, you know, and you move it on then, we'll be moving in then to the Civil War commemorative process over the next two years, you know. And we're just, I feel, it's going to be very difficult, there's no doubt about that, but I would be slightly nervous about the way it is that we have kind of started, or the way it is we've progressed through this decade of centenaries. And like with, with, with the, 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 the border, or the Northern Ireland, to me, listening to some people, it was an attempt to actually totally rewrite and totally kind of say that border was never there, it wasn't legitimate. But it just doesn't reflect the actual reality in the same way that the RIC. Yeah, I understand. I get McSweeney. I get McCurtain. I get the whole lot of it. But it still isn't the full story. And the fact that we're choosing to pick and choose the bits of history we want to use to create a narrative makes me very nervous. And I think it's a potentially significant and very big political iceberg. It'll be tested over the course of the next year and a half, up to March 2023, with the Civil War, and the most brutal month we put down in March 2023, with the likes of Ballyseedy and the whole stuff down there in the Southwest. Um, I'd be nervous about it, and I think it's going to be a big, massive iceberg, and it's going to be a bigger, massive iceberg post-2023, as we look at, because we have events, dear boy, events in relation to Brexit in Northern Ireland, because we're into that phase now where we have to substantially deal with it. We're going to have to substantially deal with it. And I don't like... The, the way it's going. I just get a strong sense that there's a kind of a rewriting, and this happens in a lot of countries. It happens... Re is it revisionism. Is revisionism, it? a rewriting yeah. of history. Joe Brawley is at it a little bit now as well. From, he had a sports um, thing with Virgin Media Sports, and he's been writing about it since as well. Now, there's a little touch of it. There's, see, it's very difficult to 
put your finger on this because there's truth in it. There's elements of truth in it, but it's not the definitive thing. And history, I think, is never or should never be definitive. And I think what's going on now a lot of times is that we're trying to make history definitive. It's not definitive. It only poses questions. It shouldn't answer questions. And that's what makes me a little bit nervous about it. And that's why I would put decade of centenaries in there in the political iceberg. And we have a chance now, I think, over the next year and a half to really... Um, focus in, because it's going to be a most difficult period to commemorate okay. civil war. That's it. Yeah. yeah, very well said. Yeah, There seems to be always a little bit of detail missing from history, no matter what's, what's written, what's not written, stories, all the different parts. As you say, it, it, it beggars more to the element of asking questions, yeah. as opposed to, as you say. It's a very good point, Thomas, asking questions, because the way we deal with it now, and you saw it with some of those, especially the RIC one, you, know, you, you get this pylon online, and you kind of literally, you, 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 you extinguish the ability to ask questions, because people come on, wind it up to 120 from the very start, and don't allow it to kind of um, tease itself out. You know, if you look at some of the historical the documentation, again, quietly has been produced, the likes of the Bureau of Military History, stuff that's been there firsthand, it's been produced, it gives you a chance to go and look at it and read through it and try and pick out the nuances and the kind of contexts and things mm. like that as well. And there is, whereas if you kind of depend on the emotional response in a debate online especially, bang! smash, wallop, you're having the chance, you know. So I think that's a good point as well, Honest. Yeah, that's a good point, Honest. Okay, we, we wait to see what happens. Um, right, what? we're back to the international affairs. And this one is basically... Durin's, Durin, inter, what is it? Interaction of Technology, Silicon Valley, <laughs> Politics. Sorry, I was about oh, to yeah. read the wrong thing. These are all okay. links now, Luke, I think, aren't they? We've two nominations in this. This is the political iceberg of 2022. The international nomination. The interaction of technology and Silicon Valley with politics. Yeah, and that, that, that goes back to what I was alluding to earlier, Tom. Uh, you said your, your Christmas viewing. Yes. Of of uh, would say, did you watch anything? And, and not not Mrs. Brown's Boys, the Christmas <laughs> edition. Did, did you watch anything on Netflix? The way that everybody watches stuff now. So and there's a movie that came out on Netflix um, that I, I I saw. Paul, you've seen. I've I, seen. It. I advised you to watch it, Tom. You were about halfway through. Mm -hmm. But the whole uh, and it's um, it is called the movie. Uh, you're don't look up. You're don't, just don't look up. Yeah, don't look up. Don't look up for those for radio. For, for, radio. Do, for those on radio, yeah, I'm just <laughs> looking up. Exactly, <laughs> but, but it's quite well done. It, it, it it's a, a good definition of how society sort of is and uh, American society is and uh, how they sort of think they're in the world. Uh, I suppose it, without giving away the whole plot of it, it there's basically. Uh, a meteor, two scientists, uh, one a young sort of student, and then yeah. her, her sort of mentor. Mentor. And they sort of discover a big comet is going to come and blow, uh, destroy the Earth in about six months' time. Okay. Yeah. And then they're trying to get that message out and across. Yeah. To people, and they sort of get an appointment with somebody, you know, and they sort of get to the the, the White House eventually, and yeah. there's the equivalent of, um, I, I, without been too blunt about it there's a female donald trump in power and uh her her uh pr not press secretary chief of staff chief of staff is her son, <laughs> her son. right <laughs> you know uh, uh and how that narrative sort of comes yeah. out and the whole thing with how it sort of dealt with and how it's i know ah, it's not really true and then you sort of bring it back to 
the whole thing with sort of society yeah and the the two people the the Media. scientists the scientists uh end up on a, on a tv chat show which is basically uh giving out good news and uh, you know what musician is doing this or doing mm. that today and then oh, it's all oh, lovely 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 uh, and all the rest of this on and it's not facebook or twitter but they have different names for yeah. them yeah uh, and the reaction so and, and, and you have uh, a tech you have a tech mogul who kind of interacts significantly yeah. in the political system e- exactly and basically winds up taking over the political <laughs> system and <laughs> the political <laughs> system sort of depends 100 percent on him yeah you know and, and it, the whole thing is very interesting but it, it, it's you know you, you you've you've seen half of it tom right mm-hmm. and and you know as, as i said i said you to watch it and I said just give me your thoughts on what you've seen of it yeah, I think I think it's it's scary if that is the reflection yeah. of what our universe has become, especially from the United States point of view. But all the different elements that make up our decision making, uh, so much of it is is media generated. Um, what what the perception is more important than reality, really, in lots in lots of ways, and what other people perceive the situation to be. As I say, from a part of that movie, it's a case whereby um, a piece of um, how do you say uh, relationship interaction between a, a big uh, pop star and another pop star is more important than getting the <laughs> the the bog basic kind of uh, information from a scientist that he's a little bit all over the place but basically what he's saying is and his his, his student is like literally, literally there's a comment a comet about to hit planet earth it's going to happen it's it's deadly serious and we're all going to die basically from this comet hitting the planet and we should take action now not in six months time not in four months but now yeah and it's, basically it's, no yeah. one uh, the, the the reaction from from the, to to that particular tv show is like everyone is concerned about uh what's <laughs> the, called the, the cult, pop star the, the cult of personality the, yeah, which the i've alluded to uh, yeah. a number of times about the state it's 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 it's, it's, it's an interesting film it's an allegorical film uh, you've kind of outlined it there thomas it's pretty much you know it's talking about climate change but it's not talking about climate change but that's what it's talking about um it's delivered in a kind of a real it's it's slapstick like you like like you mentioned before it's it's slapstick um it's a film that stays with you um even though it's a slapstick almost like a comedy slapstick comedy film it's a film that stays with you in the same way that the day after stayed you remember that Mm. film from the 80s about nuclear holocaust it stays with you the 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 final scene in it is actually not not the final final but one of the final scenes is actually a very powerful scene where they kind of tone down the slapstick and it becomes just a family meal if yeah, I, without giving too much away becomes it's a bit serious a very strong yeah. very strong scene it's it's a film that stays with you it's a film well worth watching um but it, 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 it's probably too busy <laughs> in a way it's 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 a little bit all over the place at times but like, the whole thing is all over the place i suppose it's an allegory for that maybe as well as everything else a like climate change but um it's a film yeah an affecting film but not, it, it sticks with you most definitely sticks with mm. you um it seems very simple, but it's actually um, 
it's been quite well done. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's, 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 but it's quite well done and quite effective. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one there's one element or there's one scene in it that that keeps being regurgitated as you go through the movie, and it's about this this high-ranking um, general, the general who's brought who's brought to the White House, and basically he goes off and gets a bottle of water <laughs> and a couple of uh, bags of crisps yeah. for the doctor <laughs> and his student, and he charges them for them, and this keeps getting regurgitated. <laughs> over and over again by her yeah, in yeah, different scenes yeah. weeks and weeks later why did he charge us like what's what's the insanity and because she finds out that these are freebies these are these yeah. are complimentaries Tom, in the you're, White you're, House. you're giving the whole plot away here I was like I was like why why that, are you going that's, back that's, to that's this that's the trailer Paul that's Net, the trailer that's yeah, the Netflix trailer. are going to be on to Scarlet yeah, 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 yeah. looking for their money back because you just probably put their figures down by a couple of million no it's a good film it's a good film and it's an effective film and a film that does you, do, you don't expect it to because it's so slapstick slapdash kind of humour in a lot of mm. ways but it does actually stick but, with you but, we, but the only thing is we can we can relate to it from a point of view of what we've seen happen over the last four or five years, yeah, we can relate yeah. to the different elements of yeah. it. Whether you take it seriously, whether you take it with a with a pinch of salt, mm. they're all serious elements that are ha- that have happened over yeah. the years in different ways. Yeah, yeah. but you, you alluded to Amazon earlier on, Tom, mm-hmm. talking about stuff, and like there is a, a character in this that has a huge overarching. Yeah. Uh, well, he could be. He, he, he could be Steve Jobs. He could be. That's Jeff what Bezos. I was going to say. Who? He who could is be any of those? Without gurus. giving, without giving away more of the plot. Gurus. Uh, who? Who is? The, because he's obviously representative of somebody. I, it, your I, man. In, in my opinion, it's Jeff Bezos of Amazon. I partly because of the, the thing that the rockish stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, maybe. because of, you know, and we say he. I think he could be any of space. them. Oh, but no, I, I would think it's an amalgam. No, he could be anything. He could be Zuckerberg. He could be any of them. Yeah, because he owns this company. He owns that company, and then he's. Sponsoring X and he's sponsoring Y, you know. But isn't isn't so much to do with a f- uh, the phone? Isn't because the different characters, let's say, that reflect on. Don't give it away, Tom. Don't give it away. We'll encourage you all to keep your Netflix <laughs> subscription and, and watch it. You know, there's gonna there's gonna be such a bounce from Scarif on Netflix now for what's gonna. Uh, don't look up; we'll be back in the number one slot. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's been number one uh, across, across the world. I think for yeah, they're, they're, think they're top, over top Christmas. Rate, top yeah, over Christmas. Things yeah. over Christmas. Yeah. So it's well worth a look. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So from that, we'll say we've gone to the States and we're going to sort of stay in the States. So are all the awards done and dusted That's now? That's it, no. I think so, right? Ap- apart from International Iceberg of the Year. Oh, yeah, International Iceberg of the Year. Is that what we have? International Iceberg of the Year. I think yeah. we've come oh, yeah. for, Which is, yeah, I think yeah, for, for this year, yeah. Um, International Iceberg of the Year. For 22? Yeah. Can't be a boat oh. stuck in the Panama Canal anyway, or the Suez Canal anyway, hopefully. So. God. Silence on the air. It shouldn't it should never it should never happen. Dead air. Uh, dead air. Yeah. Um, I know what this morning they were talking about the twenty things to look forward to in two thousand and uh, twenty two. And there was one for, there was one that I completely forgot that was on the way, and it wasn't Garth Brooks up in up in Dublin. The World Cup finished the eighteenth of December. Oh, that's right. It's a Winter World Cup. Yeah. Starting on whatever a, November, a winter World Cup in, yeah. the, middle 18th, of, in, in the middle of in Qatar, yeah. eating your mince pies and watching the yeah. World Cup final. Wow! Yeah, God, I don't anyway, know if that yeah. was even mentioned. But anyway, right? Okay. Well, listen, we 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 hope that we'll have lots of different okay, so bits and pieces we, we, to look forward we, to in twenty two. We, we we have no idea what's going to happen. Obviously, that's sort of the the joys of it. That you know, the, the year will be will be trying to predict be. exactly. So, but uh, have you any predictions, Paul? 
Uh, I would sort of say uh, Putin and the whole... Um, Ukraine? Ukraine. Mm. Like, if you're reading the jungle drums on what people are saying, they said, oh, Putin's going to invade there, and it's a bit like he's been building up troops. Uh, will he, won't he? A bit like, you know, oh, I'm not going to do that, sure, why would I do that? That could turn serious. Yeah. Well, it won't be quite your... Straight, well, it looks a bit straightforward at the moment now that you've got this um, amassing of um, of, troops. of troops on the border, yeah. and you've got Ukrainians training um, on the other side of the border, ready and waiting for. Which is a bit like what you'd call old school politics, old, old in school, uh, old school war, old school how it works, rather than a sort of you know um, Russian interference in you know yeah, you see, in it's, Brexit it's, it's, or it's, Russian interference yeah, in elections. Yeah, it's you know? interesting because you look, and people might have started to watch now in the last couple of days the turmoil and the kind of um, changes in. Kazakhstan Kazakhstan, which mm. is another one of these satellite states of Russia as well. That's right. like, you know, so I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of um, it's not conventional um, warfare if you want to call it that, but there's a lot of kind of stuff going on behind the scenes, kind of trying to make um, things uneasy yeah. and a bit all over the place. Um, I don't yeah. know. I Luke, suppose, in honest, I, I suppose other than that, maybe the, the 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 GA season ended in July. I suppose July, you know, that's right. yeah, yeah, it'll be all over and dusted, done and dusted by the end of July or is yeah. it early August? So yeah, July, early August. I think that's that's what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. That's what I know. Which I makes for it, you so. think then massive club championship. Oh yeah, it, but, but, it, but, it, but it basically means that your monster <coughs> championship and all the likes of that are going to be sort of held at the end of April, May, yeah. June, rather than sort of you know when the schools are done and dusted. But that's that's another thing. That'll be society moving on. Yeah. Tom, have you any thoughts? No, I, ju I just think we hopefully we get some sort of of. Um, control over what's happening with the COVID and, and all that and that we can travel again into the future and you know just just simple stuff that you kind of miss that we've missed for the last couple of years that the Omicron variant hopefully will be, will, will be one of the last or the, possibly if there's going to be more that they'll be less infectious again and that it'll become more like a, a winter flu where you, you might just get a jab and that's it yeah. um, well, it's, well, hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to know because well, I know World politics will need to probably get the finger out and try and get the countries that haven't been able to either afford or to get vaccinated already mm. to get that up and running. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're just going to go into the cycle of there will be variants will will appear from those countries right. where no vaccinations have taken place. And because of the world is a small place and you can travel X, Y, and Z, uh, if something sort of blows up there, well, then we're going to be sort of yeah. shut, you know, not in shut fairness, down again. In fairness, you know. one of my political heroes, if you want to call him that, or kind of my politicians of the year over the years, and he'd be very, like Michael D. Higgins, he might be a very like him or loathe him type of man. But Gordon Brown, the former um, chancellor and, and the former prime minister of the UK, mm. Um, has been on about this all of last year that yeah. we have to get vaccines distributed to countries in the subcontinent yeah. of Africa, Africa and those yeah. places. We're going nowhere unless yeah. we do that. So in fairness, he's yeah. been way ahead of the curve on that or trying yeah. to do that. But if you talk about icebergs, if you talk about icebergs for 2022, I think the most significant iceberg, and we're just about, we've just commemorated it yesterday, and I think you'll have a lot on this, yeah, Lou, absolutely. is the, the biggest iceberg, um, because it follows the, 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 the concept that if America sneezes, well then, the rest of the world catches a cold. And the biggest iceberg is the events of 6th of January 2021. That's the biggest iceberg for the world, I think, in the next year. And we're just, when you see 
Joe Biden's speech yesterday or Merrick Garland, his attorney general speech the day before, and you see the, the response or the lack of a response, <laughs> the holding his power to drive from Donald Trump at the moment or the response from the Republican Party in relation to commemorating people that might have died, or that not might have, but people that died, um, police officers in, in 6th of January 2021. You see their total lack of interest in not being in Congress yesterday to commemorate them other than Liz Cheney and Dick Cheney, um, you kind of have to say that the events of 2021 are going to have more of an impact in 2022, 2023 and 2024 um, than anything else in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where we're sort of coming into and we're going to start it off by playing a song and the song is quite appropriate. It's the Kaiser Chiefs. Okay, right. That was another piece of music there uh, from the Kaiser Chiefs, correct? Yeah. Hey, got quite, that one. Okay, quite, quite, quite appropriate, I suppose. Well, I don't think anyone could have predicted what happened that day on the sixth of January. Um, well, the, well, well I, I think I, I disagree with you, Tom, because I think people did predict what was going to riot. But they wanted it to happen. Mm. And the oh, man yeah. that wanted it to happen was the man who was the victim, quote unquote, for anybody uh, listening out there. Of the election. Uh, Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Well, I think I think what what uh, no, I, I mean, uh, just just going back to how we finished the last section about only two uh, representatives from the Republican Party were was it in the the mm. house to to honour the 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 death of the police officer officers yeah. couple of police officers yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the thing is, it, it speaks volumes from where America is. It's a co- it's a country divided, we, exactly. unbelievably, fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. fundamentally. Now, I, I'm going to uh, ask you a question, Tom. Have you heard of Brandon Duffy? No, I only have a few Brandons, but not Duffy. Yeah. No. Okay. Now, well, I, I'm going. I'm going I to. Have no Brandon. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to. Uh, if you're sort of asking how the state of the states is today. And this is going to go back to, we'll say, it, we'll say it'll come back around to, we'll say, the events of the 6th of January 2020. But um, I'm going to play a, a clip as Paul sort of takes a, a, a well-deserved uh, break there on, on air. I'll mute his mic so, <laughs> so that he doesn't realise it. Um, I'm going to play a clip, and I, I'm just going to warn you in advance, there's a bit of bad language in this, okay? Uh, Brandon Duffy is a NASCAR driver. Okay, which is basically uh, big cars in the States, closed-seater cars, right? You know, the big Chevys and mm, stuff like yeah. that. And he won a race, and he's been interviewed after the race, okay? Uh, and just have a listen to this. Construction, thank you, Mid-Atlantic. Thank you to all of our partners. Oh, my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd... Let's go, Brandon. Brandon, you told me you were going to kind of hang 
back those first two stages and just watch and learn. What did you learn that helped you there in those closing laps? Oh my God, it was uh, learning how each line didn't uh, stay to one. It everything shifted top to bottom so much. Now, you mightn't have been able to fully make that out. But basically, it was the chant that was in the background wasn't basically, let's go, Brandon. It was F Joe Biden, hmm. right? And that is going to lead me into a clip that I'm going to play from Fox News, Fair and Balanced. <laughs> Now, it's hard to believe that in less than just 12 months, Joe Biden's popularity has absolutely crumbled. Most of the self-proclaimed experts on cable news probably expected the exact opposite from a president with control of both chambers of Congress. But that's precisely what has happened. Americans have grown tired of Joe Biden, and they're turning on him. That's not a guess or speculation. According to almost every poll from Gallup to Reuters and everything in between, approval for Joe Biden has dropped significantly in the last year. So just today, Rasmussen's daily presidential tracking poll shows 58% of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden's performance as president. And according to a recent Mars PBS poll, just a meager 29% of independents approve of Joe Biden. You'd be hard-pressed to find a majority of any demographic group that thinks Joe Biden is doing a good job. Now, even CNN recently conceded that Biden's low poll numbers, quote, are not an exception for Biden at this point, but rather the rule. It's hard to say in any given day if Joe Biden is aware of his low poll numbers. On some days, he doesn't seem to even know he's the president. But on the rare day that Joe Biden is mentally present, poll numbers are not something he, you know, really pays attention to. How much do you pay attention to approval ratings? Well, not anymore. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I would pay attention in the, in the mid-60s. Not in the mid-70s, I, I don't pay attention. Well, I appreciate the honesty, yeah. You would think the president of the United States would engage in some self-reflection if, if his approval ratings started to tank in such a short time frame. But he hasn't. Joe Biden has doubled down on his divisive policies. So when Joe Biden says he doesn't pay attention to approval ratings, he's also telling us something else. He's saying he doesn't care enough to change. He doesn't care to unify the country he keeps dividing. It's not the presidency that Joe Biden promised us last year in the election. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who doesn't see red states and blue states only sees the United States. The Bible tells us to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. So how is Healing America coming along? Well, we don't have to guess. After a year of living through Joe Biden's policies, Millions of Americans have used their First Amendment right to tell us exactly how they feel about him. Chants like that occurred all across the country this year until they evolved into the euphemism, let's go Brandon. Never before in modern American history has a phrase been specifically invented, commercialized, and repeated to insult the president. 
No matter how silly or serious you think the phrase is, it has now hit embarrassingly new heights for Joe Biden, thanks to a man named Jared Schmack. Even on Christmas Eve, while he was taking calls from the public and tracking Santa Claus, Joe Biden couldn't escape. Let's go, Brandon. You guys have to be in bed by nine o'clock, you know, and asleep between nine and 12 or he doesn't show up. This isn't to you, Jared. This is to the kids. That's right. <laughs> well, I hope you have a wonderful hey, Christmas. Well, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Oh, Merry thank Christmas you. And let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I <laughs> yeah. agree. Hey, by the way, where, are you in Oregon? That clip is now a viral sensation. So naturally, Biden's allies in the media, they've swooped into his defense. It doesn't matter that Jared Schmeck claims he said, let's go Brandon just in jest. Blue check journalists were outraged. NBC News was traumatized by the call and ran a headline calling the phrase a, quote, right wing slur. ABC News called it a, quote, verbal insult. And Congressman Eric Swalwell, of all people, who has repeatedly slept with a Chinese spy, had the audacity to accuse Schmeck of humiliating his family and of being, quote, indecent. Meanwhile, instead of talking about Joe Biden's performance, CNN took the opportunity to attack anyone who dares to utter the phrase, let's go Brandon. Because at CNN, let's go Brandon, it's all about insurrection. Yeah, look, I, you know, it's ungracious, it's juvenile, reprehensible by the father, uh, but I don't think it's fundamentally about incivility. I think it is fundamentally about insurrection. Um, you know, I don't know the, the, the individual, but the, the whole let's go Brandon kind of motif is a reflection of the view two thirds of the Republican uh, base driven by Trump's claims, uh, false claims and the big lie that Biden is an illegitimate president. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. You certainly won't get it anywhere else. And I left that bit in at the end of it. Sean just to sort of Sean Hannity, you know, who sort of <laughs> in a spot of bother himself about text messages he was sending on the day yeah. of, of what we say, we, we, you know, we all call it in, insurrection. But uh, uh, Fox News in a little bit of denial there, I think, would be the easiest way you could sort of call it. But does that give you, like, it's sad in a way. That mm. sort of shows mm. you the mentality of a large percentage of people that are Republican. Yeah. And that, and that are still Donald J. J. Trump fans. Well, if, if you go back to, we'll, we'll anchor it back at the, um, the 6th of January 2021 and the events of that mm. day. We're just a year on from them there now. On that day, no more so than Sean Hennessy, who we finished up with there with, it spooked a lot of, of we'll say, Republican Congress people, both in the Senate and in the, in, in, in the uh, House of Representatives. You, yeah. It spooked a lot of people of right-wing bias or bent yeah. in the media like Hannity and you can see now the, com the, the the communications that were happening between those people both politicians and media people to Trump to Trump's office in trying to say hang on a second we're going a bit too far here hmm. there was a sense of that there was yeah. a most definite sense be of that be because a lot of what they do they don't I think news in the states isn't really about actual news anymore it's about entertainment oh no yeah it, well no it's it's about yeah. it's not news it's 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 about presenting a philosophy or presenting hmm. a concept or presenting an idea it's, it's it's not about it's not as you use the phrase there Luke fair and balanced it's never that it's not that but go back to the point I was just making on the thing that was the initial reaction 
and you had it in Congress. And you had then, you know, you had the ability then to actually create a second impeachment. I think yeah. they got over 60 votes on this one. So you yeah. had, you had, you had, you had the, you know, didn't get through ultimately because Mitch McConnell came up with the concepts that, well, he wasn't going to be in office, so there's no point impeaching him. Um, but when people, you know, you had the, who's the leader of the, the, the opposition leader, Nancy Pelosi's opposite, uh, Kevin McCarthy, is it? Kevin yes. McCarthy, is that his yeah. name? Um, he was spooked on the day, but then all these people within a couple of days, within a couple of weeks, mm. kind of came back, all back on message. Came back on message, which was the most dangerous element to the culmination of yesterday, where you only had two Republican representatives in the House to commemorate law officers who were killed yeah. on the day. And the reason being that Trump is still the leader of the Republican Party. He's not the leader yeah, of the country there's anymore. No, there's nobody showing, after a yeah. year of him not, have, not having yeah. what we called here with um, a year ago, the bully pulpit, Teddy Roosevelt's phrase, he doesn't yeah. have that platform anymore, but he's still, there's he's nobody. He's still running it, you know, the show, in the background. And he's sort of either down at Mar-a-Lago or doing whatever yeah. he wants. And he has two, he has a, he had to be dissuaded from making a political statement yesterday, on the 6th of January. Mm-hmm. And he's giving, um, some conservative uh, uh, conference, isn't he? On the speaking? 15th of January, down yeah. in Florida. Surprise, surprise. And over the course of the year, he's been banned off Twitter and he's been banned off Facebook, right? And you talk about political events of the year. They've said that he's not going back on Twitter. He's trying to create his own, wasn't he? Trying to create his he own is. network and at he, some stage. And he, through the machinations of finance in the States, they have a billion dollars created that he, if he wants to launch a social media company in the morning, and I think he is going but to do it, that's going to take mm. place, right? But he, I, I would guarantee you there is a more, better than a 50-50 chance he'll be back on Facebook before the end of the year. That's my. That's my. That's what I was going to ask. I said, if you're a betting man, um, yeah. are we going to are we are we going to basically yeah. see one of the the big corporations basically bow and and do a banana skin U turn? Well, no, I, I think I think there's a fair chance of it. I, I, but the whole thing that we say, I'm after giving you the the, the fox side of things with the fair and balanced. I'm going to allude now to CNN. And I have a clip from CNN with a man uh, that uh, has turned into a bit of a celebrity uh, in this country because uh, he was there on the day. Uh, as I, I suppose he was like a, he would have been, we'd have never heard of him probably pretty much be, be before that. Mm. And he, he, as the man says, he's on Twitter at Donny, mm. right? That's right. At Donny O'Sullivan. Yeah, and, and you know, a, a, a good, well, I missed a, the documentary actually during a, the week. A good Kerry man uh, keeping up in events. But he was there on the day. But he has turned into, uh, not that he's turned into, he's a very good reporter. Mm. But he has been able to talk to Trump supporters and they haven't sort of burnt him at the stake. They've actually spoken to him. And, you know, he could say, well, you know, did this happen or did that happen? And he has got some very good comments out of people. Mm. But it just shows you how the people that support Trump are so out of touch. Right. And we'll say the events of the 6th of January sort of started off being, we'll say, with Trump. But if you look at how that has evolved uh, through the year, it is basically a scenario where now they're blaming the FBI for causing all of this. So if uh, you give me a few minutes, Tom, we're just going to play a bit of a clip here now. 
Nearly one year after the violent and well-documented attack on the U.S. Capitol, some people are still deflecting blame from Donald Trump and his supporters, and instead they're embracing conspiracy theories. They are pointing fingers at Democrats and the FBI. CNN's Doni O'Sullivan is joining us now from Washington. Uh, Doni, it's, it's you know pretty astounding what people believe. Yeah, Brianna, ever since the Capitol attack, there has been an effort, a campaign to uh, alter, to warp Americans' understandings of what really happened here in Washington on that day. And in many ways, that disinformation campaign is working. Take a look. January 6th attack was not the Republicans nor Trump. It was the Democrats were behind it all. They're the ones that caused it all. Do you really believe that? I know it. And there is no way that a Republican would act that way. And there is no way that Trump had anything to do with what happened on January 6th. What about all the Trump supporters that have been charged and indicted? (laughs) Because it's all Democratic judges and people that were on the take from the Democrats. It's been a year since the attack on the U.S. Capitol. And because of disinformation, denial and diversion, Americans don't have a shared history, a shared understanding of what happened here on that day. I think the whole reporting of it is a giant hoax. We are very peaceful people. So it was a total setup. To me, it was the FBI had set it up. I don't believe that they were Trump supporters that did that. You said the whole thing's a setup. You don't really believe that, do you? I do. I do. Because Trump won the election. They, they, they've, they've proven it over and over again. I really don't think Trump had much to do with it than people that were supporters for him. Some were involved, but I think they were enticed by the FBI and by, by, you know, undercover agents. When I spoke to Trump supporters here in Washington on January 6th, most were in denial about the results of the 2020 election. Do you accept that Biden won the election? Absolutely not. Uh, Biden did not win this election. On January 6th, we walked with Trump supporters who marched from the White House, where Trump was doing his speech, here to the U.S. Capitol. And as we arrived here, that is when the first security barrier was breached. At the time, some Trump supporters told me they were happy with what happened here at the Capitol. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. I think we should have gone on in and yanked our senators out by the hair of the head and drug them out and said, no more. (laughs) I'm absolutely uh, stand behind 100% what happened here today. 1,000%. It's terrible how this election was stolen. Federal prosecutors have charged more than 700 people in connection with the Capitol riots and repeatedly documented the rioters' support for President Trump. But some people in right-wing media have pushed the dangerous idea that it was all an FBI plot. FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol. There is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that this was some kind of false flag event staged by the Democrats or the FBI. What would you say to people who say January 6th was the biggest attack on American democracy since the Civil War? Absolute rubbish. But amid all the denial and deflection, I met one Trump supporter who said it was important to be real about what happened on that day. 
What do you think of the Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol? Oh, God. You talk about mis misfound feelings. Um, seeing the folks from my side of the state that were there, and they're not the part of the campaign that we would like to have. Do you think some Trump supporters that say it's Antifa, it's Black Lives Matter, that they know that that's bullshit, but they just don't want to admit it's easier to blame someone else? Everyone is afraid to, you know, yeah. take the blame. It's that simple. And, you know, I think this failure to learn from or even acknowledge what happened uh, on January 6th, along with what we're seeing now, this sort of campaign to get election deniers, to be, make them election officials, it really doesn't bode well for the upcoming midterms and for, for future elections in this country, Brianna. No, it certainly doesn't. It's an alternative reality that we see you uh, unveiling there. Thank you so much, Tony. Paris Iveen's finest, Tony mm, O'Sullivan. Yeah. Very good. Fair play to him. Yeah, good journalist. Yeah, no, journalist. absolutely. It's, all, it's just so sad listening to it all. You know, it really is. You know, the way the... But it, it, it's, it's the sheer level at the end of it there, what he says, and it kind of encapsulates the whole thing. You know, you can't learn from it if you can't acknowledge it. And, you know, we've, we've gone beyond, you know, the people can't even acknowledge it. And that's very obvious there in, in the Vox oh. Pop. And it's very obvious then in, in, in the House of Representatives of the Senate. When you can't acknowledge it, you're actually going nowhere. The only, the bulwarks against it, are, it's, 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 it's going to be the, the iceberg of our times for 2022, but the bulwark against it is you, you, you have a media, in fairness, like Donny O'Sullivan there, or like, and some people might say, oh my God, sure, he's only a parrot for, for Biden or whatever like that. But you have a media that is still making kind of strenuous efforts to actually kind of present the facts as the facts are. So you haven't been tsunamied by the kind of right-wing Hannity's, Fox's, Breitbart's, Tucker whatever. Carson, yeah, Tucker yeah. Carson, those guys. You haven't been. And, and Tucker so, Carson was near the end of that clip basically blaming the FBI the for FBI, it. Yeah. this whole thing. But the problem is that but, he has such... A, a listenership or a viewership yeah. that if oh, Tucker yeah. basically said, you know, the sun's not in the sky today, yeah, he ain't you're stupid that. enough yeah. to believe him. So that's the side. So that's the side, the media side of it. So yeah. it's playing out there. So you've got to, you've got as best you possibly can, and and there's a balance in that they're fighting back. If you want to call it the Democrats or the people who believe in the truth, are, there's a yeah. fight back there on the media. So okay, that's it's look, it's a score draw. We give it that at the moment there. The other element there, and it always reminds me when we were doing the thing here about the election in, in November 2019. I, remember, I don't know if you remember, we played a piece from an election official down in Georgia, Gabriel yep. Sterling. Yep. Yes. Gabriel Sterling was the man's name. It just struck me at the time he captured that state. And we had a lot of drama both in the presidential election in Georgia and the subsequent um, recall Senate elections there as well with the two senators. But um, Gabriel Sterling, that's the real, that's where the real battle, and it was referenced there in part of that Vox Pop, that's where the real battle is and that's where they've kind of shifted a lot of their forces, getting rid of honest, decent election officials who are prepared to stand over the results and, and get in and stooges. Yeah, and and that, that's the key battleground. Yeah. Never mind the media, never mind kind of Hannity versus Donny O'Sullivan. And that's not, you know, never, no, it's not a versus, but you know what I mean? It never, yeah. It's not the media. It's, that's the real nuts and bolts 
battleground. Yeah. Can you have free and fair elections? And the only way you can have free and fair elections is if you have your officials who are in charge of those elections are prepared to have them free and fair. If you put in stooges and people who are prepared to kind of turn a blind eye or actually to falsify election results. And by all accounts, as we see this thing as it has presented itself, what was going on from November, I think we made this point back in 2019 as well with the American Constitution and this interregnum period between November and January. It's a period of dynamite yep. where all this rubbish can start to... And we can see now with some of the with the investigation from Congress, we can see what was going on in those hotel rooms in Washington. We can see... We might have been laughing at Rudy Giuliani with his hair dye rolling down yeah. his face outside the... the Four, four seasons <laughs> but there was a lot more of that going on quietly kind of working out how can we um, electorally challenge this from a kind of a legal point of view and so I, I think what I agree with you 100% Paul and I think what it basically is that Trump and a few of his people have looked at it and sort of said okay well, they probably won't admit publicly that they lost the election but is it right how can we make sure that doesn't happen again that's the point that's it and, and so, you, so you make sure that um, the the, the, the lieutenant governor of Colorado is our guy. The fellow who's over yeah. the boxes for Marsk Kipoka County in yeah. whatever. Yeah, and it just so the, happens that these guy. are the swing states. Yeah. But you know, it doesn't matter. It, do, yeah. you don't it doesn't do matter it as much in the big states. You don't need to do it. You need to you do know. it in Georgia. You need to yeah. do it in Michigan. Where were those three or four states? That's all you yeah. need to do it. And then you have it. Yeah. It's that close. It's only a cigarette paper away from the whole thing collapsing. Yeah. And there, when we look at it now, in fairness, when you look at it, the only thing that prevented, and it looked a bit comical, it looked a bit farcical, would say with Giuliani up front, but the only thing that actually prevented, and we went through this uh, even here on this show, and it was, oh, it's, it's there, it's out there. You know, the process of the Electoral College voting, you know, the, getting the, 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 yep. the, the electors to Washington, the only bulwark or the only thing to kind of stop that, or, or, and what they were trying to influence was the, the Vice President, Mike Pence, as Chairman of the Senate, in, in opening the votes. You know, they, they were bold, emboldened enough to think that we've created this scenario whereby it's stop the steal, stop the steal, false election, false election. Mm. So Pence can, with good authority, stand up um, in the House of Congress and say, I'm not opening those votes. I want a set of votes that kind of reflect Trump's winning this. That's all it took. Pence decided, for whatever yeah. reason, I'm not going to do that. That's as close as it got. That's right. Uh, not, not, notwithstanding the bloody riot, yeah. notwithstanding the riot that night, yeah. then that's how close it was. It's only a cigarette paper. And again, you, you, you've alluded to Paul how we are sort of trying to rewrite the events of a hundred years ago. There the, you are. The Republicans yeah, have re exactly. rewritten the it. events of, of, of a year. Within ago. a year, <laughs> yeah, within yeah. a year, including very influential Republicans. But that's the see, I, Trump. That's what I find amazing. Like I said, he hasn't got that pulpit for the last year, but he's still, nobody has, go, you know, we haven't got the Josh Hawley, you know, with his famous clenched fist mm. salute on that day as well, um, outside the House of Congress. Josh Hawley hasn't come through. You know, the Tom Cottons, you know, we're looking at the, the Mike Lees, all these new senators, who's going to look for the presidential nomination in 2023 to run in 2024. Your man seems to have taken all the oxygen out of the Republican Party all the oxygen out of the Republican Party. I think someone in the Vox Up said they're two-thirds, two-thirds. That's a significant majority. There's no chance for the Kinsingers, for the Cheneys, for yeah. those people, those normal politicians, and they're right-wing, but they're normal politicians yeah. and they're defending. We, 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 we talked about a Liz Cheney speech there, I think, a couple of shows ago. You know, they're defending the American Constitution. They're defending the principles of the United States of America um, as espoused by the Founding Fathers and the whole lot of it. But they have no oxygen now. They have nothing. 
yeah. you know, all they can do is just fight as much as they possibly can against this thing. If you have two thirds of that party, that Congress, yeah. which and was represented by people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, lunatics. Yeah, absolutely. And she, she got banned off Twitter as well dur- yeah. uh, during the week, not banned off Facebook. But uh, th- this is the thing you talk about the b- b- banana skin for the year. The midterm elections are going to be huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. And the way it stands at the minute, I think the Democrats are going to lose. Uh, there's no doubt they're going to lose uh, the Senate. And that's the end of them. That's mm. the end of Biden trying to do anything. Mm. You have two more years then. True. And you have a vice president that doesn't, it's not making. Well, yeah, I, 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 I was going to call it political disappointment of the year, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, yeah. You know? But Hard anyway, to know whether. Yeah. yeah. That'd be it. There's so. your, there, there, I think, like, as I said at the start of this, there's your iceberg for 2022. And as I said, the old truism, when America sneezes, the world yep. catches a cold. And I think that's, hmm. you know, well, be the case. it's, um, how do you say, we wish we could have left the show today with a bit of an upbeat kind of, uh, but that's reality. Okay. No, that's no, no, kind of, no, no, that's reality okay, no. in the sense of, because, I mean, if there was an election today in America and you had the two of them going head for head again, the likelihood is with all, with everything that's happened with the disbelievers and the way, as I said, they're, they're not believing w- what is absolutely 100% historic in relation to what happened on the 6th of January, the amount that are completely in disbelief, would Joe Biden come in? No, I, look, that's, that's a good question. I, mean, I think it's an important to leave it. How many months are we on now? Yeah, we shouldn't leave it on, on, on a down like that with this American carnage. I think that's the speech that Trump that's made a good in 2016. No, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's what it is, really, yeah. isn't it? But it, in fairness, when you look at it, you've got to think of the Gabriel Sterlings down in Georgia. You've got to think of the Jamie, is that, 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 that um, law um, senator or House of Representatives guy, um, Oh, I've forgotten his name now, but you've you got to think of the work that they're quietly doing. Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, you know. The, the, look, it's, it's, it's up there. You've got the bang flash wallop thing from the Trump side of it, but you've got a lot of reactionary, react, react, reactory stuff coming from the other side, the decent stuff. It's still there, and it's still, it's, it seems to be up for the fight. It seems to be prepared to kind of stick it out and keep at it. Johnny O'Sullivan is still doing it, you know. So it's not quite as cataclysmic it's scary. It's an iceberg, no doubt about it. But you'd like to think that the forces for good, I think we can call it that in this, um, are still there and are still up for the fight on this. Okay. Well, I think we'll say sayonara for um, our show of El Politico for 2022. Um, a big thank you to Luke Fleming and to Paul Bugler, of course. And we hope you've enjoyed our two shows for the new year. Paul, um, Luke, would you like to say something? Uh, yeah. Paul, your choice of music to see us out, a song by The Clash. Yeah. Right, 30 man. seconds to discuss and then we'll play it. Oh, no, there's a lot of, there's a good lyric in this. I think it's from the late 70s as well. Um, good listen to it. Might be able to pick them out, but um, there's a good, it's a good piece of music that I always like anyway. That's all. And you know okay. what? We've, we've been talking for over three hours. Oh, I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. Over two episodes. <laughs> My wife has, three episodes. Has, 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 what you call it, and, has been and, texting. And, and, there, and there's been no mention of Boris. Till next time. We'll talk about Boris next time. Happy New Year to everybody. Many happy returns, Thomas and Zim, from myself to everybody. (laughs)